We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast, one-stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Quillen. Joining me today, Tyler Grizzagork and Perry Goldstein. And, and guys, as, as we inch our way closer to training camp and the, and the 2020 season, uh, how pumped are you guys to get ready for some more Packer football? Very excited. <laughs> Very ready for it. I'm ready for, yeah, exactly. I'm ready for sports in general, Packer football. It, I think it's it's time, you know, especially with not having any anything on TV to watch. Um, that just makes me want Packer football even more. I've been playing a lot of Madden to try and get that football fixed lately, so um, I'm definitely ready. Yeah, for I've it. been watching old games, so I would appreciate some new new stuff to watch. <laughs> no, I'm in the exact exact same boat as you guys, and obviously coaches are now slowly trickling back into stadiums. They've been uh, doing interviews, they've been doing media appearances, and things like that. So it's it's definitely becoming more and more of a reality as we inch through into the summer. And it looks promising that we're going to get a full a full season in this fall, and, and I'm with you guys. I can't wait, and and that kind of leads us to to today's uh, podcast topic, and we're going to be talking a lot about what the future looks like compared year two of Matt Lafleur's system compared compared to what we saw last year, which was kind of a combination of the Lafleur and McCarthy way, and 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 how much is it going to impact this year? What's going to be their formation differences? What's going to be their over unders for whether they run no huddle, their yardage? 
uh, what's the play calling going to be like, and even some defensive stuff as far as what can we expect from year two from a lot of these defensive guys, or year three under Mike Pettin, and year two under all of the new free agents that came in last year. So there, there's a lot of numbers going to be happening during this podcast, so bear with us as we, as we do kind of math and kind of just break down. We do it, and, and Tyler, you're the expert on this, so kind of from, from most of this, we're going to let you kind of lead the way. But because there, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things from what this Packers team can bring. Yeah, and and expert is being very very kind. I mean, I just simply go on a website and look at some numbers and say, ah, oh, I don't think that's right. So, um, you know, it, I think in order to get a full picture of of what the 2020 team is going to look like, you you can't do so without looking at 2019 because that first year under Matt Lafleur wasn't going to be what this offense is truly going to look like, and the defense has been continuing to evolve. Um, over the last couple of years, especially with the additions of the guys last year, and Zadarius and Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, uh, those guys, you know, they made an, an incredible impact last year. So I'm excited to see what they can do in year two. No, you're absolutely right with that. And with with year three of Mike Patton, it's going to be a chance to see what these guys can bring in. There were definitely some big time flashes on the defensive side of the ball, but but the big changes will be on offense. Obviously, Matt Lafleur, an offensive coach, a quarterback guy. And with with his staff coming back this year, it's it should be some improvement from what we saw last year. And and plus with a couple new faces in the game, uh, obviously Aaron Jones, another year better, another year healthier. Emergence of guys like Alan Lazard and, and Jay Sternberg, hopefully stepping in a tight end. There there's a lot to think about with this team. And and so we're going to talk a little bit about the formations that we saw last year, the run pass splits, things like that. So I think we'll just we'll dive right in. We'll start. On the offensive end, we'll start with a lot of their team stuff, and the biggest thing is the run-pass split, because for basically since 2005, the Packers have been such a dynamic passing team, but with the moves that they've made this year, with the moves that Matt LaFleur has said he's, he's excited for, this team's going to be looking to base everything off the run, and last year was 60-40 pass to run, and they're, I think they're hoping to get back more to 45-55, but this is still going to be a passing team. Uh, Perry, with what you've seen from the numbers, what you've seen from the team over the, over uh, the first year of Matt Lafleur, what are you expecting for for the run pass ratio in twenty twenty? Um, I think it's going to stay. I mean, he wants the run to lead into the pass game, right, and like lead more into play action. So I don't imagine that the run is going to be above fifty percent, but I do imagine that it'll be closer to even than it was last season. And then, Tyler, I guess the same thing for you. With the way the league is kind of becoming a little more cyclical as well with the run game, do you think the Packers will inch toward that 45 to 50 mark this year? I think that they ideally want to be sitting around 45 uh, 45 run, 55 pass. You know, the the, the NFL is actually really interesting in that regard. It does. It goes through these, these waves of, okay, well, teams are becoming bigger, so we're going to become lighter and faster, and we're going to start throwing the ball more. And then it eventually kind of comes back around and, oh, well, these teams are getting, these teams are getting lighter and faster. Now we need to get, you know, stronger and more condensed. And it just kind of, it's just a big cycle. And so I think the idea with what the Packers are trying to do, I actually, I'm actually for it because they're trying to get ahead of the curve. I think some of these, some of these teams like Seattle, I think they were already kind of there. Uh, they were one of the more balanced teams in the entire league last year. So, you know, these teams are, Again, trying to run the football as a primary means of offense, as a primary means of setting up their pass game. So we're going back to, you know, the, some of the great offenses that have ever existed, um, and, and having a great running back and honestly having a great quarterback to just kind of get the ball out of their hands and, get, and facilitate the offense. And I think that with the aging Aaron Rodgers, it's exactly what this team is looking to do. 
100%. And that's been kind of the Matt LaFleur way as well, going back to when he was with Heat, when he was an assistant in Houston. You had Arian Foster years. He goes to Washington. Obviously, that's Mike Shanahan. He likes to run. When Atlanta, they, they were able to have a pretty good running game there. And just as everywhere he's gone, he's had a good running game. And I think that's going to be bigger this, uh, bigger this year as well, as far as just balancing things out. Obviously, Aaron Jones had such a massive year last year, leading the league in touchdowns when you factor in playoffs and, and also with him in a contract year, you know, he's going to want to really step up and even improve on that. So you got to think that Aaron Jones is going to be the, probably the main focal point of this offense this year. And, uh, Perry, I'll go to you. What do you think is going to be Jones usage this year? Is he going to be getting more carries last year about the same? Do you think maybe they'll drop it down to keep him healthier? I was thinking the latter, Mike. So I was thinking it would go down a little bit, especially because we have Dylan now and I could see, you know, in December when it's colder, leaning more on Dylan being that like more bruiser running back and given Jones a little bit of a rest, especially if hopefully we're going to be in the playoffs. I also see them using him a lot more in the receiving game. I mean, he was our second leader in receptions last season as a running back and he does pretty well. Um, he, I mean, significantly improved in the receiving game from uh, uh, 2018. So um, I can see his snaps maybe going down, but them using him a little bit more in a versatile way than just running. You know, I think that's a good thing, good good thought as well. If using him more out wide, I think because we could see formations where they do have Jones and Dylan both on the field at the same time. You can move uh, Jones out to the side, move him out there. We saw a little bit last year the work he did out on the perimeter and. And I know, Tyler, you, you look at this quite a bit as far as the usage of these guys. And uh, how do you think that's going to balance with the running backs? And you have Jones, Dylan, Jamal Williams, uh, Swervin Irvin. That there's there's a bevy of weapons and explosive ability in this backfield. Well, I think that the best place to save Jones' health is going to be in those short yardage situations. He's simply not built to be pounding the rock and those you know one to two yard uh, to go plays. And, and when you get in the goal line. It, that's how you're asking for him to get beat up and take unnecessary hits. And I think that's honestly why they brought in a guy like an A.J. Dillon. You know, Jamal Williams did perfectly fine in that role last year as well. And I'm actually quite excited to see how they use all three of these guys because I think all three can provide value to this offense. Jamal Williams is easily the best pass blocker that they have in the backfield right now. So I don't think that that skill is going to go unforgotten. Um, and then Aaron Jones is probably the best receiver. Jamal Williams is capable, capable, but he's not he's not as talented as Aaron Jones is. And AJ Dillon is just going to carve out an immediate niche role in that short yardage guy. And I think that that's honestly what they brought him in for. They want to wear defenses down, um, and and honestly just take the load off of Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. And and so these three guys, maybe even a fourth running back to be named later, uh, I think are going to get a ton of work um, in this offense in general. Um, and, and the way that Aaron Jones is used, I think he's going to be a primary, let's get into the goal, uh, let's get into the red zone and goal line to go situations. And then you're going to send in Jamal Williams and, uh, AJ Dillon to kind of finish it off. So if you're a fantasy player, that kind of sucks because it's going to take away a lot of his value. However, uh, you're still going to get a lot of production out of Jones, I think, um, in between the twenties, we'll call it. No, I think, I think you're spot on. I think that fourth running back is going to be between Dexter Williams and Tyler Irvin. We'll see which one gets, gets a chance on the roster, but. I think it's time for a little bit of over-under with the running back. So, Perry, I'll go to you. Aaron Jones last year had 1,558 total yards, 19 touchdowns. Do you think he Do you think he hits those numbers again this year? I don't, and I don't think that's to say he won't be productive. I just think, like we've talked about, there's two other guys who also have like interesting skill sets that we'll want to tap into, and that'll just reduce his time on the field. Um, but Jones is productive 
you know, when he's in there and he's going to make big plays. And I think he'll have, um, you know, over 10 touchdowns, hopefully this coming season, but 19, you know, franchise record. That's, um, I wouldn't expect the same amount, but not to say that it's not because he's going to be less productive. And Tyler, what do you think about, about Jones's numbers in 2020? You know, I'm not sure his yards from scrimmage are going to be too affected. I think he still puts up similar numbers in that respect. Um, I do think his touchdown numbers are most certainly going to go down. And for the reasons I just talked about, I think that there's other guys who they are bringing in to kind of handle that part of the load and really kind of embracing the team aspect of this. And so, um, fortunately, I think his touchdown numbers are going to go down, but I think we're going to see an uptick in his receiving numbers. Um, and I think we'll also see possibly an uptick in his yards from scrimmage because I don't foresee them using A.J. Dillon a ton um, outside of the red zone. No, I'm, I'm with both of you guys. I think I think his yards will be similar, but I do think his touchdowns will go down. I think his touches might go down a little bit. He'll be he'll have some more big plays, I think, but I think he'll he won't have to be the workhorse that he was last year. I guess another the one last thing on the backfield is they were uh, they were targeted 24 percent of the time last year, uh, and I, you got to think that might go up when you have all more weapons. Obviously, with question marks at wide receivers, some question marks at tight end. This could be a time where where Lafleur and Rogers and and Nathaniel Hackett really rely on the running backs in the passing game. So, and Tyler, I'll ask you quickly: Do you do you think that twenty four percent target rate is going to go up this year? You know, I I think it could. I don't think it goes up too much because you know you still have a guy named Devontae Adams out there who's still going to command a large number of targets, probably twenty five percent of Aaron Rodgers' targets at, at a minimum, uh, and so. It's tough because 24% is already a pretty significant number of the team's passing attempts, and we'll see. I think if Tyler Irvin's going to be on this roster day one, I think that that kind of gives us an indication of how they want to use these running backs uh, going into the regular season. If he, if it's Dexter Williams, I think that says the says the other, uh, we'll call it perspective on it. So I think wide receiver numbers are going to go down, but I think that those numbers will go to tight end rather than running back. And, and Perry, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I was thinking that it might be similar, but the tight end percentage will probably go up, we hope, with the production of Jay Sternberger increasing. So, um, but they, I mean, like we've said, they are really focusing on the run game and potentially using Jones, you know, in the receiving game. So I see it pretty, staying pretty standard. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. So as we move on to the wide receivers on this offensive end, obviously the question marks and there was all of the hand wringing and 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 panic when they didn't take one in the NFL draft, which did surprise everybody and cause basically widespread chaos. But the Packers have talked uh, at length about how much they trust their guys. They they trust Alan Lazard. They trust uh, Marquez Velda Scantling, Devin Funchess, Equinemia St. Brown is back. They even talked a little bit about Jay Kumaro getting him out involved a little bit more. So we'll, we'll see what they do when the season starts. But the constant is going to be Devontae Adams. And obviously an injury shortened year last year, 83 catches, just shy of 1,000 yards, literally nine feet and five touchdowns. you got to think, well, for him, all of those numbers got to be going up this year. you got to think he, he could be pushing for an all-pro spot, a pro bowl spot. You know, Tyler, when you when you look at the numbers of these receivers – how do you think they change from from last year to this year? Or in Funches' case, twenty eighteen. You no, know, I I am not a hundred percent confident that Devonte Adams' numbers go up. I'm not, and I think that they're very similar. I think he'll crack a thousand yards simply because he missed a handful of games. Um, you know, I think his 
his target rates are going to remain the same, but I don't think they're going to be passing as much. And so when it comes to the red zone production that he was so well known for the last two years coming into 2019, uh, I think that those numbers are going to go down. You bring in a guy like an Alan Lazard, a Devin Funches, a Jay Sternberger. Those are three guys who are going to eat into the red zone production for Devontae Adams. So his touchdown numbers might remain similar. They might go up slightly. I mean, he missed, uh, what was it, five, six games last year. So he's probably going to get more opportunities, and they're going to go up. But, I mean, at a per rate um, for Devontae Adams, they're going to be about the same, I think. So 83 catches, uh, that comes out to, for you played about 10 games, eight catches a game. That's a lot. <laughs> so I don't think that that, I don't think that that maintains. I think that they're going to be looking to distribute those targets elsewhere and use Devontae Adams in a little bit more of a decoy role than they have in the past. Um, I think that that's going to be a little bit more on Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see how much that actually happens. But I think LaFleur is going to try and get the ball to be spread around a little bit more. I, I think you're right as well. And, and Perry, when you look at Alan Lazard, he had 35 catches, MVS had 26. Devin Funches, his last healthy season in 2018, had 44 with Carolina. And, and no knock on Cam Newton, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. And so you got to think Funches might have a little bit better numbers if he comes in as the number two guy. But where do you see those three younger guys kind of stepping into this offense with, with a more of an emphasis on the run? But do you think they're going to be as productive in the passing game as as the team thinks they will be? I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, I think Lazard, I mean, he didn't really break out until about a quarter of the way through this season. So I think as a starter, I expect all of his numbers to go up, um, especially as a big guy like Tyler just said, like in the red zone, as a red zone target. He only had three touchdowns last season. I, I expect that to be a little bit higher, maybe five or six. Um I really like Funches' numbers from his 2018 season in Carolina, 44 receptions, 549 yards, four touchdowns, a little bit better than Lazard. I hope he's at least that productive, if not more. Um, but that's, you know, I think definitely dependent on Roger, Roger's trust and chemistry with him, which we won't know until we see them on the field together. And MVS, I mean, 26 receptions, 452 yards, two touchdowns. I think you'd like to see that higher. I think I can't tell if he's going to be just like primarily a deep threat. And if we hit on some of those, you know, large (laughs) passing uh, like passes, then, you know, maybe defenses start to take him a little bit more seriously. And he actually starts drawing some people um, towards him. I'd like to see him have more touchdowns and more yards, but again, like, he just had such a drop off at the end of last season that it's hard to know um, what he's going to bring this season. No, you're spot on. And MVS is such a weird case because it seemed like he was more successful running those shorter routes and getting ahead of steam going upfield on those slants and those out routes. Like the his big touchdown against the Raiders was just a little five yard out, and then he went 75 yards afterwards. But then on the deep throws, he was getting open, but he couldn't track the football. So uh, Tyler, we with with MVS, what what's what's his spot gonna be? Is he gonna be the Trevor Davis role as a guy who just you tell him run a straight line and and draw a corner with you, or are they gonna use him a little bit more on maybe some of those bubble screens or a jet sweep or like a quick slant? I think that they would like to, but I think in order to do that, he has to first complete the Trevor Davis role. He has to show that he can be a threat deep, and then you can start using him in some of those other types of roles. It's not gonna be one or the other. They have to be in tandem. And so I, I, I certainly hope so. We've talked about MVS on this very, um, very episode, or not episode, but this very team uh, of podcasters here. We've talked about him at, at length, and 
he's a guy that I think can really take a step forward. He, he struggled last year. Um, we were talking about it before we started recording. I hope he doesn't have the yips because that would be just not good. I mean, that Devontae Adams was able to overcome it, but guys like, you know, Jamon Moore, he was not able to overcome that kind of stuff. So I hope he doesn't have the yips because that would be a real shame. I think he's a real talented player. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers believes in him, though, and I think Aaron Rodgers is going to give him all the opportunities to make the plays, and he he has competition now. He has three other guys he has to beat out for that number two spot in Funchess Lazard and Equinemia St. Brown, so he's going to have his work cut out for him, and, you know, I've said it multiple times, competition breeds the best rosters. I'm excited to see what this preseason brings because these three are going to be dueling it out for the coveted number two spot in this offense, which, because the number three spot is probably not going to get a ton of production. So the number two spot is going to be really the only other wide receiver spot getting a ton of production this year. And it's not only even just like that receiver spot. You got to factor in guys like Jay Sternberger getting those touches outside as well, where, where you might want to have Mercedes Lewis in line, but Sternberger can go out and play on the perimeter as well. And, and that'll lead into, and Tyler, I'll go back to you for this because you, you obviously, you found this stat and you did a lot about the personnel groupings. I'll let you go through that. And what do you think the Packers will do with their personnel issue compared to what they did last yeah, year? So just to start out, last year they ran pretty heavy 11 personnel. And if you're not familiar with the, with the terminology, when we say 11 or 12 or 21, it's you read it as a running back, tight end, and then whatever number is left is wide receivers. So 11 personnel is actually one running back and one tight end, leaving three wide receivers on the field. So they ran 11 personnel last year, uh, 60% of the time, which is quite quite often and not something I think that LaFleur wants to do. Um, he, I, the, as the year progressed, it seemed like he wanted to get more condensed on the offense. He tried to use Mercedes Lewis in different ways to get him on the field and uh, Jimmy Graham as well to try and use those two in tandem together on the field to make plays. Um, so after 11 personnel, their next most common uh, personnel grouping was 12. So one running back, two tight ends. Um, as I mentioned, they started they started to use Lewis and Graham on the field at all times. And honestly, I think that there were some big moments that could have been made with Graham on the field if he had just been able to complete plays. And I think that that's where a lot of the offensive troubles kind of came from is the fact that they could not finish certain plays that were set up throughout the game by running these different personnel groupings and plays. Um, so hopefully if Sternberger is able to finish those or Tanyan even, whoever emerges at the tight end spot, honestly, is able to start finishing plays for this team, I think we'll see a big uptick in offensive production. Um, the next com- next most common uh, personnel grouping was 21. So two running backs with one tight end. Uh, this could include a fullback. So you're looking at a fullback, uh, a halfback, and then your tight end. That's 12% of the time. And then for a measly 7%, there's the, the remaining three that they ran. Um, I would, so it's 22 personnel. 13 personnel and 20 personnel. Um, these, you know, there's, I think these are just kind of in there to mix things up. But the one that kind of caught my eye was the 13 personnel. Uh, they ran that 3% of the time. I, it's in the playbook, so maybe maybe LeFleur wants to expand on that a little bit. So you're, you're looking at your one running back and three tight ends. I think that would work perfect with Devontae Adams on the outside. Um, could be, honestly, the strength with DeGuara coming in as well. So th- there's a lot of... Um, a lot of flexibility with this offense, and I think that's something that LaFleur is really looking for. So uh, we'll see. I don't think that they're going to be running 60% 11 personnel. Um, I, what are what are your guys' thoughts on that? I, I, th- I think that number is far too high. No, I'm with you, and I was actually going to uh, ask Perry this as well. When you talk about these personnel groupings, the versatility of guys like Aaron Jones and Irvin and DeGuara, and how, how misleading could some of these these numbers be when you factor in what role is DeGuar going to be? Is he going to be a, a, a fullback? Is he a tight end? Is he a receiver? 
And same with Aaron Jones. If he lines up in the slot, how do you define that personal grouping? So I guess what what are your thoughts on what we're going to see from the groupings this year and, and how much can that versatility that this offense is going to have can maybe play with those numbers a little bit? Yeah, I think, I mean, just like you said, they're super versatile, so they can line up and the defense could think it's one, you know, personnel grouping and they have multiple roles and it's a surprise. So I think it'll be to our advantage. Um, I mean, 11 definitely going to go down, um, no doubt. I mean, that's a very Mike McCarthy <laughs> personnel grouping and we're moving away from that and towards LaFleur. The one I'm most excited to see, honestly, is 22. Um, I think 22 personnel is going to go up a lot where I hope at least we see, like we've said, you know, Dylan in the backfield, maybe Jones out wide, Sternberger and Mercedes Lewis or Sternberger and Deguara. We're not sure. Um, those will be fun and, and exciting. And then of course we always have Devante out there and it could go, the ball could go anywhere, I think in that personnel. And that's that when I look at this breakdown, that's a what number that I think will go up um, the most significantly. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I think that's going to factor in as these drives go in what what they do uh, throughout the course of the the game. Because I think they're going to keep a lot of the personnel groupings on the field together, so the the defense can't sub and and whether there are no huddle rate goes up or not. But they're going to keep if you start a drive with with AJ Dillon and Jones together, I think they'll stay out there for a while, and that'll keep some of these these formations similar. Just how they line up is different, and as Matt Lafleur's love to say, it's the illusion of complexity. And we'll, so we'll see what, what they do as well. But I guess the last thing on the offensive side is going to be the no huddle. And last year was 47%, which is surprising to me. I thought it was lower because it seemed like a lot of times because of the verbiage of a new offense that it seemed like it took a time to took them forever to make the call. But they seemed like they ran the no huddle more and more as the year went on. And it, they seemed to run it pretty effectively with Devontae Adams not on the, in the field of the games that he missed. And so, Tyler, do you think they're going to do some more no huddle this year, or do you think they're going to keep it about the same? Uh, you know, I, I think that the no huddle number is going to go up. And I think it's going to go up because I think they're getting more comfortable in the offense. And, you know, as you as you mentioned, the offense kind of struggled to begin the year, which was expected. And I don't think anybody was expecting them to be, you know, running on all cylinders right away. And as the offense continued to grow throughout the year, they definitely did start to run the no huddle more often. And I think, honestly, as you mentioned with the illusion of complexity, Matt LaFleur would love to implement that. You're putting two tight ends out there, but you can you can put Sternberger out wide. You can put Jones out wide. You can put Devontae Adams out wide. There's your three wide receivers, and then you have A.J. Dillon and whoever the other tight end is in, in, in line with, with A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Like, there's so many different things that they could do with these these different personnel groupings that they could go no huddle, and they could, they could change the play on the fly. And I think, honestly, Rodgers might be perfect for that. You know, identifying the mismatches, finding finding the the vulnerabilities in the defense and what he wants to do, and I think that that could be really fun to watch. And as we continue to talk about this, I get more and more excited about what this Packers offense could look like. One hundred percent. And and Perry, I'll ask you the same thing. Where do you see the Packers no huddle game going in twenty twenty? I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I know I'm not sure how I. I have much to add there. I just, I think 47% definitely surprised me as well. When I saw that number, I thought it was going to be much lower, um, which is a pleasant surprise, honestly. Um, and I, I fully agree with Tyler. I think the more comfortable they get second year with Matt LaFleur's scheme, um, you know, they'll be able to increase that number. And, um, I mean, Rogers is so good, so good in no huddle. Um, and so the more, he gets comfortable in this offense and he trusts his guys out there. Um, we'll see that number go up and, and I think it's going to be really successful. 
Yeah, I'm with both of you guys. Have you guys elaborated perfectly on what what we can expect in 2020? I agree. I think it's going to go up. I think we'd probably be approaching that 60% mark. Is as you have so many different options and the versatility they'll show in that no huddle will absolutely cause chaos for some of these opposing defenses, especially if they can't meet until we get to training camp. So I think the offenses might have a little bit more of an edge in the early portions of 2020 as well. But we have spent so much time now talking about the offense. Might as well flip it over, look at the defense. There's not many team numbers out there, but we do have some individual numbers. And so a lot of the big names quietly had some really, really good years. Obviously, the Smiths are talked about a ton and Jair Alexander. But but Adrian Amos, 84 tackles, two interceptions. He did exactly what they paid him to do. He's helped solidify that back end and and is going to be kind of a mentor for guys like Darnell Savage, Raven Green, Chandon Sullivan. Will Redmond, uh, Kevin King, 66 tackles, five interceptions. He did miss his share, but he, he seemed to be willing to hit. Jerry Alexander, 58 tackles, uh, 13 and a half sacks for Zary Smith, 12 for Preston, obviously. So I guess, uh, Tyler, I'll go to you. Where do you think, we'll start in the secondary. Where do you think Adrian Amos goes in year two? With I the think Packers? that those numbers are about right for him. And honestly, with, with Amos's presence in the secondary, I think, Unfortunately, it makes Tremont Williams expendable because I think Tremont Williams' real value was as that veteran leader, the guy who was savvy, the guy who could read the cover or the, the play coming at him before it happened and, and direct the coverage appropriately. And I think that Amos is ready to take over that role. Um, and I think that, you know, his numbers reflect that 84 tackles for a safety is pretty good. So he's, he's all over the place. He's getting where he needs to go. Um, he had two key interceptions in the beginning of the year. I uh, didn't have any the rest of the year, but that's perfectly fine. I, I don't think I had any major quarrels with Adrian Amos. As you said, he's doing his job and he did it right. Um, he did it, he did it well. So I think that those numbers are about right for him. I think we'll see something similar in 2020. Yeah, I'm with you. I can't, I can't remember reading him missing tackles either, which I think is a big key as well. He's, he's a, sh- he came in as a sure tackler and he succeeded that role. And, and Perry with the corners, I mean, when you factor in two corners having around 60 tackles and then you, t- you talk about the five interceptions from King, Alexander should have had about seven. Where do you see the corners in 2020 with those two guys now really getting more playing time with Tremont Williams likely on his, on his way moving on? Yeah, I, I see two things happening here. I think Kevin King will hopefully stay the same. I mean, he's playing for his contract, right? So this is his last season. So I'd hope that these numbers, I mean, five interceptions is a lot, but that's, you know, that's one of his strengths. So with his contract on the line, I think you'd expect these numbers to stay the same, if not be better. Otherwise, I anticipate them not bringing him back. Um, with Jair, definitely more interceptions. I mean, he's even talked about how he knows that he should have had more and that he knows that's the difference between him going to the pro ball or not and being really taken seriously as that like lockdown, you know, household name corner. So um, I expect him to be walking into the season really hungry um, and ready to have more tackles, more interceptions, just be more impactful. I liked when they blitzed him a lot. I mean, he had a few tackles for losses last season and he can just, he can really get in there. Um, and uh, I, I expect both their productions to go up. I, I really like them as a tandem. And uh, I know this wasn't the question, but I hope they keep Kevin King. Cause I, I just, I like the two of them on the field together a lot. No, I'm with you, and I, I agree. I hope they keep Kevin King. At the very least, so I can stop hearing about that that draft. But either way, with with King and Alexander, they're they're a good duo. They're young, they're talented. They they both they do complement each other very very well. But right in front of them, we have the pass rushers. Obviously, the Smiths with 25 and a half sacks between them and 60 quarterback hits between them. Those numbers 
it's a question of whether they're, they're sustainable. That Those are incredible numbers, and they played a ton of snaps last year. And it it kind of showed at times where, obviously, Zedarius, whether through hook or by crook, had some, some injuries that would stop drives in their tracks. So there might have been some gamesmanship there. There could have been some actual stuff there, but you got to expect, and Mike Pence talked about trying to get them off the field a little bit more, and, get, and that gives more snaps to guys like Rashawn Gary and maybe uh, uh, John Garvin or Randy Ramsey, whoever ends up being that other pass rusher, and getting more snaps for Kenny Clark as well. And so, Tyler, I'll go to you. Where do you see the Smiths this year with, with a chance of them not playing 90% <laughs> yeah. of the snaps? No, I think there's definitely going to be a downtick in their production, and it's just going to be natural. I mean, um, Preston Smith is, was performing so efficiently, um, and, and so it's only going to be natural to see his sack numbers go down a little bit. Um, I, I think, like you said, I think of the there's going to be a an influx of youth um, behind these guys to try and get them off the field more. I think Rayshon Gary is going to be the biggest benefactor. I think we'll see him put together somewhere between five to ten sacks this year, um, somewhere in the teens for pressures and, and QB hits. Um, I just don't think that we're going to see. Maybe Zadarius Smith becomes a little bit more efficient, um, and, and finish, cause he not necessarily had a problem finishing, but there were definitely some plays that he could have finished and was unable to due to just some of the players that they had to play, like Russell Wilson, for example. So like, just those kinds of guys that are able to make plays, if he could finish a couple more of those, um, maybe his numbers are a little bit more quote unquote efficient, but I still think we'll see him around 10 sacks. I think we'll see Preston Smith maybe a sub under 10 sacks. Um, but I think they're both still going to get a ton of pressures and a bunch of QB hits. Um, but if they can't, if Kenny Clark is unable to really kind of do anything in the middle, he might not be able to do much more than um, what he's done in the past because he's going to have to eat up those double teams. And as long as he can continue to do that, I think the Smiths will continue to see whoever's pass rushing on the edge, honestly, will be able to see production as long as Kenny Clark is able to eat up the double teams in the middle. I'm with you, and and Perry, I'll ask you similar. How do you see them using the interior of the line, whether it's Kenny Clark or behind them with guys like Christian Kirksey or or blitzing guys like Ty Summers if he if he gets and gets some snaps on defense, moving the Smiths inside. How do you see this this pass rush changing in 2020? Um, I think it's going to be a more of like a spread the love kind of season where, like Tyler said, their numbers might be lower, but it's only going to be because other guys are getting, getting home. Um, like Kenny, like Rashawn, um, like you said, maybe Christian Kirksey. Um, I think the numbers themselves will still be high. I actually think we're going to have one of the best pass rush, pass rush units in the league this season. Um, just given like how creative we can get with moving Zedarius along the line. Same with Rashawn. I think they're expecting him to come in and, and do that as well. Um, I hope Kenny Clark gets a few more sacks. Maybe Kingsley Kiki will come in and have, you know, a good sort of solid season. So Kenny doesn't have to eat up all the double teams. Kingsley Kingsley Kiki can also help him there. So um, I think it's going to be high production, just may not reflect that way in their individual stats. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we're going to see some uptick of numbers as a collective. I think we may see some individual numbers go down. I think the guys like Gary will obviously have the numbers go up. I think we, we may see a little bit of guys like Kamal Martin can come in and blitz or or Trevon Hester can can make a little more of an impact on the defensive line compared to what he's gotten the chance for with other teams. But I, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be one of the better pass rush groupings in the league, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a collective. It's going to be a team effort compared to what we saw from the Smiths last year. And I guess the last thing, very quickly, we saw basically a career year from Mason Crosby in the special teams units. 
And, but then we saw a lot of inconsistency from J.K. Scott and the utter disaster that was the return game before Tyler Irvin came in. And so, Tyler, looking at those three, where do you see the change or improvement if, in 2020? Uh, well, I think that goal, will, goal number one will be identifying a regular kick returner. Whoever that is, if it's Tyler Irvin, great. If it's somebody else, great. Somebody who can come in and be successful at the position. They obviously have struggled to find somebody to do that for a few years now. And I think they had that guy in Trevor Davis, but he couldn't stay healthy. So honestly, they've just struggled to find somebody to consistently be able to field punts and kicks. Um, so as long as they can do that, I think that that number is just going to go up. I mean, obviously, the the <laughs> it's not a tall order at this point to try and to try and overcome, but I think that number will go up. Um, I'm, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for J.K. Scott that he's learning how to become more consistent with his kicks, and, and hopefully we get a few more, you know, punts inside the 20, get that net average up a little bit this year. I, I, I think we will, and I think because that that third year leap that McCarthy always loved to talk about, I think the third year leap is real, and I, I'm I'm a big fan of J.K. Scott, so I'm, I'm going to believe that he's going to get those numbers up this year, and we're we're not really talking about him as a quote unquote problem going into 2021. And Perry, I'll ask you the same thing, especially with Mason Crosby going he, with his new extension. And by the time that's done, he's going to be he's going to be have more games played than any Packer ever. And that's that includes Brett Favre, that includes Bart Starr, everyone. Mason Crosby will be the most tenured Packer of all time by the time this his contract is up. And with the efficiency he had last year, he also had a, a game winning some game winning kicks. He was he was a guy who you could have made a case for the All Decade team, but he ended up not getting there. Uh, where, what do you think is going to change with him this year as he's another year older, another year with Bradley and Scott with that field goal grouping? Do you, do you think he's going to keep this efficiency in 2020? Yeah, I think nothing's going to change with Mason Crosby. He's so consistent, so reliable, and I don't think they would have brought him back um, if they didn't feel that he was going to bring bring that again. Just season, but the next three. It's so hard to find a kicker like Mason Crosby that um, – you know, the Packers, the Packers have gotten very lucky with his level of play. And I think, like we said, they're going to be a unit now going on three, the third season and that cohesiveness and that trust between them, you know, is just going to increase and, and make them better. I think they're saying that JK Scott and Hunter Bradley share a duplex together in Green Bay. So they actually practice together in their backyard. And I think that's going to reflect on the field. Yeah, actually, I was actually going to make that point. There, there's an article in the Athletic about them from last year. How they, they, they are neighbors with each other, so they would set up a spot there, mark off the distance, and they would practice their snaps for the entire offseason. And they're still doing that now with with all the quarantines and lockdowns. They can still stay close by, and they can still do that in the fresh air. So I think that'll help a lot as well. As as, as, as so, I think we can all agree that the Packers they'll be different, but they should still be a very strong team in 2020. And where you, the year two of the Matt Fleur experiment goes this year is going to be interesting to see. And and just seeing what the what the advanced stats show at the end of this season is going to be very, very interesting as well. So with that, I think we'll start to wrap things up here on the Packaday Podcast. Uh, Tyler, we'll go to you first. Where can people find you? And still taking a break, or what are you working on? Yeah, the break is coming to an end. Um, however, uh, there are some things I'll be working on here in the near future. Getting back into Dynasty Nerds, um, I'll be focusing on the Scott Fishbowl, if you guys follow fantasy football at all. So I'll be kind of doing some of those things. Um, and then just getting ready for the getting ready for the season. Um, we're only a couple months away. Actually, we're less than a couple months away from the start of training camp. And um, probably, the depending on what they decide at the preseason, we could be a couple months away from the preseason. So I'm excited for everything to get started again. Um, 
and really kind of get back to some normalcy, as we'll call it. Absolutely. And Perry, you seem to be still pretty busy in the off season. Where can people find you and what are you working on? <laughs> um, so I podcast once a week with Maggie Loney. Um, it's called Pax What She Said through Cheesehead TV. So you can find me there with her. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Perry's P-E-R-R-I. Um, have a few things coming out soon, but they're still surprises. So I'll wait to <laughs> wait to announce that. <laughs> Fair enough. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wellens. You, you, mostly you're going to find me yelling at the MLB right now as I uh, completely skewer Rob Manfred in every which way because he is an absolute joke of a commissioner. But also find us at Packaday Podcast on social media. Wherever podcasts are found, we will be there as well. Give us a comment. Give us a like. Let us know what we're doing as well. So for everyone, stay safe. Always carry the G. We'll talk to you next time. Go Pack up. class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring this podcast unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness deep relaxation purification and rejuvenation 
in hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.